You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Members Only, recorded on February 25th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church here or wherever you happen to be. You could be in Indiana, you could be in Freeport, you could be in Petrolia Valley or Catanning. Welcome, my name is Mike and I get to bring the message. But before I do, um, uh, there's a historical marker that I think uh, we all should stop and and recognize and that is Billy Graham um, finished his work apparently at 99. If he had hung on till November, he would have made 100, but apparently he was done. And uh, he's amazing how God used this man. He um, spoke the gospel with his human voice in the presence probably of more people than anyone in the history of the world. And probably is not needed. He just did. Uh, All over America. uh, In 2018, it seems like ancient history, but in 1949, he was in L.A. and Los Angeles just came to a halt, and every night he had to preach and fill the tents, and uh, went to New York City and all over our country, but then he's also preached to a million Koreans in one time in a stadium. We don't, how do you get a million people in a stadium? They must have, um, or I don't know how he did it. I wasn't there. A million people, they said. Some of them had to be outside, right? I mean, then he's preached in Russia and all over the world, and, and preaching the simple message that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. But you know what? He's not the first, but he's very American. Really, the first open-air preachers were in the first century. But after that, after the church became legal and established, it it wasn't a thing. People didn't go outside and preach the gospel um, that much um, until uh, a guy named Whitfield and the Wesley brothers started getting kicked out of churches in England, you're not going to preach in our churches because you're not official clergy. We don't like what you're doing. So they went and preached in the streets. And they began having meetings in England. Then they came over to the New World, and it was even bigger. And, and Whitfield, they said, he, you could hear his voice without electricity, obviously, for well over a mile. Ben Franklin writes in his autobiography of hearing, going to see Whitfield every time he came to preach, even though Franklin was not a believer in Christ. But he was an amazing preacher, and the Wesleys traveled around, and it wasn't just them. It became an American tradition to have outdoor evangelism. You know, when you go to your church, that's your brand, but going outside saying, anyone, come one, come all, and people's lives were changed, and and you had D.L. Moody, incredible. D.L. Moody was, uh, D.L. Moody was, 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 he, he, he was Billy Graham before Billy Graham, because, but he didn't have as much electricity and television, you know, and, and, and uh, Billy Sunday and, and many others. But um, I want to tell you about an old man, about, about 20-something years ago, before I was a pastor, I was in a chapel service, and an old man got up, and he was, I think he was like 90, right around there. And uh, he, I thought, you know, he... He, he, some guys 90 or spry, he wasn't. He kind of hobbled up onto the stage and he shared a message with us of a, of a guy named Mordecai Ham, who I'd never heard of. How many of you have heard of Mordecai Ham? And what a name. Mordecai is Jewish and Ham is not. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, that worked out. Um, 
he was born, his parents wanted to insult the neighbors or something. Um, but in any case, um, this fellow was going to go. I can't remember the guy's name who talked, or I'd tell it to you. He wanted to go see Mordecai Ham, but he wanted to, to bring someone with him. So he went uh, to a teenager, about 15 years younger than him, and, and said, why don't you leave the farm tonight and let's go see Mordecai Ham? And the teenager's like, I really don't want to do that. He said, I'll let you drive my pickup. And the teenager said, well, if you let me drive your pickup, I'll go. And the teenager went, and he heard the message of the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ, and his life was changed. And you may have figured this out. That teenager was Billy Graham. Now, I can't even remember the old dude's name. He's not the guy who preached the gospel to him. Mordecai Ham is. But if that old dude doesn't get the idea to take that teenager... Christians, the message is what's powerful. Never underestimate your ability to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Because that old dude who's no doubt in heaven before Billy, he probably has a better seat than Billy. Because <laughs> he led Billy. <laughs> in any case, we use the same powerful word when we read the Bible. And it's the same powerful word we preach. Um, it's not the people who are powerful. If you ever listen to Billy preach, you know that. He was a good communicator, but he wasn't tricky or clever he just he just said jesus died for your sins do you want to go to heaven or hell get saved and people just they did so let's look at the word of god we're in first timothy and we're all the way up to chapter three um back in the 80s um some of us can remember the 80s some of you i'm really dating myself i know but something came out in the 80s i was out of high school living on my own and something came out in fashion i've never been fashionable i know it's shocking but all the guys started wearing members-only jackets. How many of you guys remember those, right? Uh, you know, I just heard somebody laugh really loud on my left. I bet he had a members-only jacket. And they, I don't know what was so special about them, but all of a sudden, everyone was wearing members-only jacket, and they said members-only right here. I've never owned a members-only jacket, and I still remember thinking there had to be some kind of a secret that everyone had that I didn't have. Because they're all members and I'm not. And I never did buy a members-only jacket. Um, you know, I've never walked into a Gap store on my own. I got to be dragged in by women um, in a mall. Now, Gap was 80s. Um, American Eagle or what do you got now? I don't know what you got. A, whatever brand you're supposed to be branded with t- these days. But I, I, I always thought the appeal of that has got to be that you're a member. Because being an insider is better than being an outsider. I was always an outsider. The Masters Golf Tournament's coming up. This is another example of that. Because I want us to think about membership here. The Masters is put on by Augusta National every year. It's not like any other tournament. This, this is just a golf club. It's just a group. And they put on a tournament. It's become the most important tournament in the world. That's it. Just a private bunch of dudes say, hey, we're going to have a tournament. And it's the number one one. And you're not allowed to go play at Augusta National in Georgia unless you're in the Masters Tournament or invited by a member. And there's not that many members. You could say, well, I'm going to drive up and pay the fees. They're not going to let you play. There's not that many members. Talk about inside and outside. I will know I'm really important in this world when I play golf at Augusta National without sneaking on, because I might, if there was a way, I'd sneak. You know, what, what, what can they do? Kick you off, take you to golf jail? I'd sneak on. Who's with me? But 
Are you a member of any clubs or organizations? I've never been good at membership. I just, I don't know. You know, there's the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, there could be a bowling club, nerd clubs, cool guy clubs. I've been a club member of gyms. Those are good. Gym membership goes like this. You go in, some guy gets you psyched about getting in shape, you sign a contract, sign a check, you never go back, but you send him a check every month for two years. I'm like, why do I want to be in this club? Who's with me? Who's done that? But then I became a, a, a Christian and found out I was a member of God's club. Do you know God has a club? And there's insiders and there's outsiders. Our text today describes God's club, members only club, 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. Ready? Starting in verse 14, Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon. Paul's not, obviously where the letter is, is going to a place called Ephesus, he's not there. I hope to come visit you, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul has travel delays that he expects. He wrote this letter. He took the time to write the letter. Uh, One thing very valuable in those days was something to write on, like a parchment and ink and and whatever, but he got what it took to write this letter because he figured, I'd like to go tell them in person, but something told him I'm not going to be able to. I'd love to visit you, but in case I can't, like my head gets lopped off by Nero, that'll happen after the next letter he writes to Timothy. I just thought I'd write this down. Isn't that amazing? What a beautiful gift God gave to the church because Paul was frustrated in his travel plans. You gotta think at the time, Paul thought, God, how come you won't let me go visit Timothy? He needs some help. You ever get frustrated? You ever think that maybe God is working in your frustration? The thing that's frustrating you is actually good? Well, this is good. The the church gets 1 Timothy as a letter. To, to teach us and to train us. Because what he says is, I'm writing, here's my purpose for writing 1 Timothy. This is, so whenever you read 1 Timothy from beginning to end, right here in chapter three, he tells you what you should be looking for. I'm writing this so you, the people who are members of the church know how to behave. He says, I, if I delay, I'm writing this so, you, so one ought to, you will know how one ought to behave. But not just out there in the world, in the church of the living God. To be a member of the church is, if you stay the same, you've missed it. There's training that's ongoing. And there's a whole New Testament filled with the training instructions, including First Timothy. There's ongoing learning here. Membership behavior is important. Not just membership attendance, often People go to church thinking all that matters is that I show up and get a blessing. I show up and good things happen. I show up, I get some kind of credit in heaven. I show up, my mom's happy. You know, just attendance. Or maybe even believing. I show up and I actually think what those folks believe is true. And we think, well, that's being an insider. Oh, no, no. It's the way you actually behave that matters. Why is membership behavior so important to God? Who wants to join? I don't want to join a club that cares about how I behave, with the exception of the church. 
If I was ever invited to join the Lions Club, which probably will never happen, I've never been invited to join a club in my life, which is probably why I've never joined one, and they say, well, we're going to tell you how to behave in your whole life, I'll be like, I'm going to go. Is there another club? Like a, a Shrek club where you can just be a slob? I'll join the Shrek club. No rules, just right. I guess that's the Outback club. Why would you want to join a club that tells you how to behave? Well, that's what the church is. The reason why is because this club is very important. How important? Well, try to think of anything more important than the church if the answer's not God. You can't give that as the answer. What on earth is more important than that? Now, you may have some things more important to you, but that's because your mind is not in line with the word of God. In the word of God, nothing is more important. So therefore, how you behave matters. And here's how he describes the church in three ways. It's the household of God. It's the church of the living God. And it's a pillar and buttress of the truth. Let's take those one at a time. The household of God. When we, see, when we think household, we think of a dwelling place. And that works. Um, but when you see it in the New Testament, it means the family. And everyone who lives within that family, and it could be the immediate family and cousins, and if you uh, are rich, all your workers live with you and their families live with you. But it's, it's family. Now, if you're a Christian, you're a member of God's family. You'd think there'd be some responsibilities. I've been in a lot of households in my life. Um, my parents, God bless them, split up after 10 years. They decided other spouses might be better for them. And, and so I had three households even before I got out of high school. I had the one with the two parents, and then I had the one, well, then I had the one with the single parents. Then they both got married. Then I had, so that's really three. And then you have the one with the stepmother and the father and the stepfather and the mother, right? And then there's different characters in those houses, because you got brothers, and maybe stepbrother, and, and then adopted brother, and sister, and it gets, it gets complicated. You got to remember, okay, who's in the house today? Which household am I in? And, and each household, then that was it. Then I got out of there. I got out of there. And I've lived as a member of a household with an aunt and an uncle and three cousins. And, and then I had certain roles and responsibilities there. And I've lived in a members of... Uh, Household with friends, that wasn't too good. I had a member of a household with my wife, and then we started adding children and various people. And, and in every household I've lived in, I've had certain responsibilities, freedoms, benefits, rights, and a very definite role, right? And up until this year, one of those roles was father. Now in my household, I'm no longer a father. I'm just a husband. That's it. Now, I don't mind the decreased responsibility. I do miss the, the young adults. They were, you know, just like, do you see the third um, Indiana Jones where uh, he was asking his father why? Do you guys remember that? He was asking his father, why did you, why, you know, um, why did you ever pay attention to me? And uh, that's why I left home. And he says, well, when you're first starting to get interesting, you left. And that's kind of with your kids, you know. They're old enough to hang out with and they leave. And... But there's more freedoms now. Um, think about it. You're a member of a household. 
Someone's there, even if it's just you and God. And as a member of a household, you have certain freedoms, you have certain rights, you have certain responsibilities, and you have a very definite role that you play. Well, as a member of God's household, you have certain freedoms, certain rights, certain benefits, certain responsibilities, and you have a very definite role that you play as a brother or a sister here. Of course, I'm not going to go through that because he's very quick with it in the text. I'm going to be fairly quick with it. So let's go to the good part. There's a lot of benefits. It's the household of God, which means God is the dad in the house. And he's a good, good father. Someone should write a song. (laughs) He's the God who made the world. He's always with us. Someone should write a song about that. He is the God who sent his only begotten son, to die for us so there's forgiveness of sins so you can live guilt and shame free in an increasing measure as you increasingly believe that and you also have a very large family in every age since Jesus came there are people who accuse Jesus of being enemies of their families you say no they don't he's a family guy James Dobson focus on the family Well, if you pay closer attention, you'll see in every age, in every place, he's accused of tearing families apart. We've heard recently in our church of of, uh, two young ladies who were beaten by their brother because Jesus invaded the family. Jesus invades the family, and sometimes people are killed, put out, or just leave. Jesus made a statement like this about family unity. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is very important to get because I think some people wrongly think a reason to come to Jesus is to improve my family. Your family may get worse. I think sometimes people avoid coming to Jesus because of family. And that's a mistake. I would come and believe in Jesus, but my mom has so-and-so denomination and she wouldn't allow it. But Jesus says, I haven't come to bring peace on earth. Which ruins all your Christmas cards right there, doesn't it? He says, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household, family. They used to have a role there, and now that role has been destroyed because I came into their life. And if, if, that's, if you don't like that, then whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You can't be a member of my family if you put any of those people before me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy. Well, person comes to Jesus, division comes to families. That's not because Christ is anti family rather all families are anti-christ until one of them discovers him and then they all notice this guy is an alien or this gal is an alien some of you come from families that did not know christ do not complain that your family gets mad at you rejoice because it means you're truly a christian and they may come but you may take abuse before that happens because he's really calling your whole household to his household He wants everyone to be saved. Peter realized this dynamic at one point and he said this to Jesus. And in Jesus' answer, you see your benefit of being a member of his family. He said, Jesus, we have left our homes to follow you. What about us? What do we get? 
And Jesus said to them, this is Luke 18, 29 and 30, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left their house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is why church harvest has to go deeper than just Sunday morning, Friday night, social club. We're a family. We are to be friends and brothers and sisters. Love has to dominate. Because we're supposed to have more family in this age. You shouldn't be on your own anymore. But also, (laughs) eternal life. We don't get a description of that. What's eternal life going to be like? I'll tell you. Take the best you can think it could be here in every way. Multiply it by the biggest number you can think of. Multiply that again by the biggest number you can think of. And then say, that's probably one thimbleful of how great it's going to be up there. The church is God's family. You're a member of his family. Now that's a good membership, right? That's the one thing I'm a member of. I'm a member of my family. I'm a member of God's family. Two families. The second thing he calls the church is the church of the living God. How you should behave in the church of the living God. There are dead gods. Ours is not dead. Very offensive to this world to say that there are dead gods. But I want you to know there are dead gods. Which ones? All of them. Allah is dead. Muhammad's not a prophet. That could get me killed in some places. I'd say it more. I'd wait till they got converted. Then I'd tell them, I, you know, I, you got to slip it in at the right moment. Hassan Chop. You know, you never get to the gospel. Let's start with Jesus, then we'll go to the Allah's dead part. I, I, I've been to Thailand and seen people stand on top of a beautiful mountain and a beautiful temple, lovely, rivaling anything in Christendom, and walk around these beautiful gold statues and say their prayers to those statues. They're dead gods. I've seen it in Indonesia. I've seen it in India. Their gods are dead. We are the people of the living God. And people, when when you see this term church of the living God, that's the only God, the word church should not bring to mind this building. It should bring to mind the word congregation or assembly. And if you want to make that bigger, make it as big as you want. You can call it a personal tribe or even a nation. The entire, what's the entire story of the Bible? If you had to summarize the whole story of the Bible into one sentence, there's several ways to do it. There's not limitless ways to do it, but there are several. One of the ways you can do it is it is the story of God collecting for himself a congregation from the earth. That's the story of the Bible from Genesis all the way to the Revelation. It's a story of God Collecting a church, collecting a gang, collecting a people, collecting a club. The word church means assembly or congregation. One big picture of the Old Testament, the big picture of the whole Old Testament is God forming a tribe of people. He said to Israel, you will be my people. I will be your God. No other nation will have the correct God, but you will. But many of them didn't believe. So he said, well, then I'll use just the righteous among you. And now you'll be my people, the righteous Jews, no one else. And then he promised them that he would build them 
a people by the end times. Listen to this, what he says in Isaiah, and look at this theme of the story, which is collecting a people to himself. He says, fear not, I'm with you, in Isaiah 43. I will bring your offspring from the east, from the west, I will gather you, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, right? Not members only club, the God club. Everyone called by my name, bring them back to me whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. There's a promise throughout the Old Testament to gather the faithful from the ends of the earth. We just had the Olympics Some parts were good. It was pretty boring. The Americans weren't that good. But I still watched as much as I could. Interesting thing is, I was always looking at the flags. And this has not a lot to do with the sermon, but it's just just a a strange thing. What the heck's going on with Russia? They were kicked out of the games, and then they won all the skating. How does that work? Well, it's not Russia. They are athletes from Russia. Oh. But... Every nation, besides Russia, had their flag there, right? And I love the stars and bars of the United States, right? I want to see them win everything. Um, Didn't matter who was going against who, I wanted the Americans to win, because that's our flag. That's our flag. One day, we will see a flag we have never seen. This scares the world when you say that. I just read an article on Billy Graham that said, he said something like this, and people thought he meant we Christians were going to take over the earth. We're not. We're like lambs to the slaughter here. But our God is going to return one day, and he's going to set up his nation here. He's going to call his faithful from all ages in all places, including from the grave, and we're going to have a national anthem we've never heard and we'll have a flag we've never seen. Could you imagine God's flag at the Olympics? We'd win everything. Summer Olympics, you do a dive. Nine, nine, ten, ten, ten. We win everything. But not all earthlings will be members of that future nation. Not all earthlings are members now. God made everyone. But not everyone will be in his nation. Modern mind isn't like that. We want equity. Everyone should get the same thing no matter what it is. How can you have a God who won't give us all the same eternity? The answer is because truth really doesn't care about your value system. Truth cares about God's value system. Now Jesus opens the door. When Jesus comes, at the end of the New Testament, here comes Jesus. He shows the great mystery that was being hidden from the Jews, though it was right there in their word. It was hidden, but in plain sight. When you see the word mystery in the Bible, it means you've already been told this, but you missed it. Abraham had already been told, you're here to bless all the nations, but the Jews missed it. So when Jesus came, here comes the great mystery. I came for all the nations. Go make disciples of all the nations. And he threw open the doors of his club to members of any nation who wanted to send people. Here's a good biblical picture of the story of Jesus. All right, it's a good word picture. Just think of the earth, and there's no humans on it. There's just a bunch of sheep. No other animals, just sheep. And they're all in different nations, and they can talk because they're possessed sheep or something. <laughs> okay, and you're one of them. You're one of them, and you could be a Pennsylvania sheep or an Ohio sheep or a 
Florida sheep or a Russian sheep. You can be any kind of sheep. And there's different flocks everywhere. And then Jesus comes and says, I am the great shepherd. And I'm going to take sheep from every flock that love me. And I'm making a brand new flock. And that is my goal. That's the story of the Bible. Do you ever hear it said like that? If not, how about John 10? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Those of you who have come to know Christ, well, how did you know he was true at the moment you knew? Can you remember? You can't remember how you knew, can you? You just knew. Well, because you were convinced by all the arguments? Probably not. You had enough arguments to get your mind opened up, but you probably got all the other arguments after you believed. How did you know it was him? Remember that, Christians? Do you remember that moment when you just knew? He says, my own know me. You're there eating grass. You don't know who you are. Jesus shows up and goes, Susie. Imagine you're Susie. I never heard that voice, but I know that's my shepherd. That happened to you. He says, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know my Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. The sheep are dirty. They need to be cleaned in this metaphor. (laughs) He dies on a cross for them. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In his moment, saying that, he means not of Israel's flock. All the other flocks. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's the goal of the New Testament. The whole story of the Bible is God gathering a congregation. So when he says to Timothy, I write this to you so people will know how to behave in the church of God. He's saying this is a very important place. This is a very important people. Because one day there's only going to be one assembly for God. Christians, we have a tribe. Your tribe is interracial and multinational. There's Christians in America and there's Christians in China. And there's Christians in India and there's Christians in Korea and there's, there's even Christians in Cleveland. Can anything good come from Cleveland? You have a tribe. Membership in earthly clubs can be good, I guess, for a while. Best to be in the flock of God. Let me show you God's end game. Here's a spoiler alert. If you haven't read the Bible, here's the end of the, end of the movie. Ready? Revelation 5. The angels are singing to Jesus, the Lamb of God, and he says this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you, Jesus, were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. The cross of Jesus Christ is the means of rescuing human beings from every tribe. Unless Jesus Christ dies for sins, there's no forgiveness for any sheep anywhere. But he does die. And that's the rite of passage 
for all who believe. The cross of Jesus. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people. The cross is the power that makes sinners into saints. The third thing he calls the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Pillar, you know what that is, it holds up a roof. A buttress is that curved piece of architecture that gives strength to whatever holds up the roof so that it absolutely won't fall. The church is the pillar and buttress of what? Truth! Facts can be found in many places. You can find them in your science book, your math book, your English book, but truth only in the Bible. Because mankind wants to know, why am I here? What is the purpose? Why is there pain? What's going to happen? You want those truths? You're not going to find them anywhere except the Bible where God revealed what you cannot find by human exploration. And the church is the place where the Bible is believed and proclaimed. That's supposed to be our job, by the way. The church has a responsibility to the entire world and to its members regarding presenting truth. If the church does not present truth to the world, which hates us, then, then we're ripping off the world. Those members of the world who, when they hear the truth, will come running to the shepherd. Can't do that if we don't tell them the truth. And those people inside, the members need the truth to grow and learn in their God. That's why doctrine matters. That's why I can't sell out. So many churches want to sell out. It's not just this age, it's every age. People say, I can't believe how many churches just look the other way when Nazi Germany told them to. No? Can you look at how many churches are performing gay marriage today? Oh, well, that's different. I mean, we're just trying to be nice. In your own age, it's really hard to take a stand. I saw people judging Billy Graham for not being perfect over 99 years. It is so easy to look back 50 years and judge those idiots. But in 50 years, who gets to be the idiot? So what, where in your culture today is truth for sale or is truth compromised or is truth given away because it's just not popular? The church must never do that and doctrine matters. We should carry on when ridiculed and hated because for those who hate us, we owe it to them to love them. Now, this is unnatural. I don't generally feel like I owe it to anyone who hates me anything. They're ripping me off. I feel like I owe to people who give me stuff and love me. But Jesus Christ died for sinners like me, his enemy. Therefore, I owe it to people who hate me to lovingly tell them the truth no matter what. But God also uses the truth to give you hope in this crazy world. It is, it is not time to run from God's church, folks. It's crazy out there. This is the refuge. The word of God is the truth. We are his people. And it's a refuge for the lost of the world because some of them are going crazy too. They've been told Jesus ain't the answer, but they ain't finding answers anywhere else. And the word of God says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and they're saved. We, we are the refuge for the lost. 
And then the text goes on after it gives three names for the church and it tells us what our foundation is. And it's Jesus the rock. This is a very special part of the Bible. 1 Timothy 3.16, a great verse to memorize um, because it's a way of joining with brethren from the first century. It is thought and probably true that this is the very first and oldest confession of the Christian faith. You know, like the Apostles' Creed, we believe in one God, maker of heaven and earth, right? And that kind of stuff. This is like a creed. It's in creedal form. Um, In the ESV, it says, great indeed, we confess. Probably more literally, it's saying, by common confession. By common confession. As if this is something you might say in unison in the very first church. Well, what is the common confession? The mystery of godliness. Well, what's the mystery? A mystery is something that's known in the Bible, but until Jesus comes, it's hidden in plain sight. And the mystery is that God became man and dwelt among us. And here he is described. Here's the mystery. He was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. I want to see God. Jesus said, have I been so long with you and yet thou hast not known me? God showed up as a man. He was vindicated by the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God proved him right at every turn. Everything he said was right. And God testified by his Holy Spirit to everybody. This guy is right. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. Interesting how God plans this out on the week that Billy Graham dies. We have a confession as ancient as, as, ancient as the church that says Jesus was proclaimed among the nations. That is how people go from darkness to light, from death to life, from sinner to saint, from unforgiven to forgiven, to under the judgment of God, to right with God. Because Jesus is proclaimed. People don't like that. So anti-religious. I want to do good deeds. I want to travel to Chiang Mai and walk around those gold statues. I, 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 I need to be able to earn some righteousness so I can be better than the schlubs around me. By works of the law is no flesh saved. But how are we saved? By hearing and believing the proclamation of Christ. It's the only way to be saved. By hearing something proclaimed and believing it. He is proclaimed among the nations and he is believed on in the world. There is no stopping Jesus Christ. In every age, it's been said, just what's said today, the church is going to disappear. It will never disappear. Jesus will be proclaimed until he returns and there will be people, sheep, who wake up, believe in him and join his club. He's believed on in the world and he's taken up into glory. Jesus is the mystery. Well, where is Jesus now? He is at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, right hand is a figure of speech for ruling. But I mean, I can't see him. But I know he's coming back from that glory. And when he returns, no one knows. But we do know this. No matter when he returns, in that moment, the entire world will be separated into two people, insiders and outsiders, members and non-members, and that means tonight I ask you, which are you? It may not have mattered 
but I'm proclaiming to you Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is attesting that what I say is true, and you know it. What are you, inside or outside? Whose life is yours? Do you belong to yourself or to Christ? Because when he returns, it will matter. This is what the Bible says in Matthew 24. For as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They were happy as clams. They had plans. But then lightning, rain, until the day Noah entered the ark, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. While the world thinks there's no God to be afraid of, I read Sam Harris's book, He Comes Back! And in this story, many get this wrong. They think the one taken is a Christian. You're reading it wrong. There'll be two in the field, and one's taken. That one's sent to hell. The one who's left is the Christian. Two women grinding at the mill. One is taken, one is left. The flood sweeps away the wicked. God has made Jesus the man who died on a cross and rose on the third day and ascended to heaven, he has made him king of all the earth. But he's also made him the one who will judge the sins of every human great and small who's ever lived and every human being is a sinner. The only way to escape that judgment for what you and I have done is to receive The ransom paid, which is his blood, which means to lay down your sin, lay down your life and follow Christ. Who survives his coming? Members only. Jesus warned you of the... People say, well, I don't like any fire and brimstone preaching. Yeah, when's the last time you heard any? The greatest fire and brimstone preacher of all was Jesus. Here's Jesus. Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that's thrown in the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Do you see the picture? Every nation's people are gathered together before God. And when it's full, men drew it ashore and they sat down and they sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. I don't want a dogfish. I don't want a catfish from the ocean. I do want the swordfish. I do want the tuna. <laughs> and he says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and they will separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What about you? Will you stand on that day? Or will you have to answer for your sins? And some foolishly think, oh, I can answer for my sins. I'm not that bad. You're not that bad. Oh, you think you're good. (laughs) You say, wait, I go to church. I'm the member of a denomination. He wouldn't judge someone for sins. Who goes to church, would he? Oh, no. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. When we came from the start, I told you, church membership is not about you going and saying, that did me some good. It's about how you behave. You're known, you're known by how you act. 
On that day, many will say to me, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Do mighty, mighty works in your name? Sing a lot of hymns in your name? Put money in the basket in your name? And I'll declare to them, I didn't know you? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those who believe in Jesus know him. It's a relationship with a shepherd. And those who know him keep his words. And here you say, well, this can't be right because God wouldn't send good people to hell. I know a lot of good people who don't believe what you're saying. They're good people. I know they're good people. I'm in the country club. And in the country club, and in the Lions club, in the Rotary club, or at my work, or at my school, my teachers, my friends are doctors. They're businessmen. They're respectable people. God wouldn't judge them people, would he? Take no comfort that you know people who don't believe in Christ. They won't save you in the judgment. Here's what God says in 1 Corinthians through Paul. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing. Things that are so no human may boast in the presence of God. You know what that means? It means someone can play at Augusta National every day and go to hell for their sins. To survive the judgment, you must be a member of his people. Forgiveness of sins is not just given. It must be received. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Have you received the forgiveness of sins based on the fact that Jesus died for you? This is not just saying, oh, I believe that's true. That's not it. You've got to receive it. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. That means you say, those things I do that are evil, that you died for, I leave them behind My life is yours. I trust you now and into eternity. As I've said many times and hope to say many times before I die, I will not escape judgment because I'm a pastor. I won't escape judgment because I worked hard to be a good husband and a good father and I'm working hard to be the best grandfather. I'm not going to escape judgment because I didn't cheat or steal or go to jail or didn't rob a bank. The only way I'm going to go to heaven is because Christ died for sinners and I'm one. What about you? By your blood, you ransom people. Forgiveness of sins is offered freely to you now. Not forever. What about you? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.